My guest today is the writer, explorer, finder of beautiful places, maker of delicious foods and so much more, Rosanna Purcell. This is a woman who has lived two extraordinary lives and overcome one of the worst imaginable illnesses in the process. I absolutely loved this chat and I know you will too. Thanks to Roz and her people for setting it up and making it possible. Welcome aboard to our new listeners and subscribers. I am, of course, out on tour with the Your Man show. I am coming to a town or theatre near you across the winter and New Year. It's such a fun show. We've had so many great nights so far. Roz, of course, has a book out at the moment, The Hike Life, My 50 Favourite Hikes in Ireland. It's a hell of a read. She finds 50 of these hikes all around Ireland, from Donegal to Kilcash. Each hike includes levels of difficulty, all the details you'll need to go about doing the trail, and where to get the best views, the all-important views for the best food stops along the way, of course, the beaches. That's everything for me. Rosanna also shares practical tips in it for you know the outdoors and layering up and what to pack, all the precautions you need to take, the apps, the websites, everything you need to know is in The Hike Life, my favourite hikes in Ireland by Rosanna Purcell. It's out now wherever you get your books. For now, sit back and relax and enjoy this chat. Roz Purcell, I have been accused so many times, and this podcast has been accused so many times, of causing more homesickness than anything ever produced uh, on the internet. But I think you are rivaling this podcast with some of this stuff that you put out on social media, which, honest to God, I have found triggering. I think you should come with a health warning. When I lived away for 10 years, oh my Lord, you found parts of Ireland that just made my heart ache for home. Let me ask you first, is that the idea when you do it? Is it to show people this is, this is what you're missing? Or is there, is there just something else going on there altogether? You know what? That was definitely one of the best intros I've ever had. But also, no, it's not. I guess I absolutely, I love traveling. Um, and I do think obviously the last two, you know, three years ago now, like with lockdown, uh, it forced me to probably travel more at home. While I always kind of did and I hiked around Ireland, it definitely, I suppose I went on like week long or fortnight long trips and really like suck a place dry and actually went to every single part of the county or wherever I was so for me I guess I just absolutely love traveling around Ireland and sharing it so I, mm. I actually it's funny I don't have any like you know why I'm doing it it is obviously look I think there's a side effect of like promoting Ireland but I'm just doing it because I really enjoy it mm. and I love researching like I, I always think like I probably should have been a travel agent in another life like I love I love um, planning itineraries and I do it for all my friends wherever they're going away somewhere so I just love sharing that with people because I understand a lot of people they live really busy lives that when they go away on a holiday they just want they just want an itinerary given to them of like look yeah. these are the best things you should do so you know what I kind of think with social media obviously I follow people because they give me something whether it's entertainment or value so mm. I guess for me one part of my page is I love to be able to give people like inspiration to visit Ireland. Yeah like you're right about going back home and kind of trying to squeeze in all of the holiday into one that y you do need guidance on it and I just look at these places that you visit the way you shoot them and I just don't know how you you 
they're doing it with the research and the level of detail that you must need to go into to to find those spots or is it a case of a handful of darts at the dartboard eventually you hit the bullseye you know what like i am a big lover of going onto google maps and zooming right in and going like along like i will actually people are always like how did you find that place and i'm like i was in google maps i was like going along the coast and I saw hey that looks like a rock pool I'm gonna pin that and go find it so really yeah so like for me it's like it's a mixture of giving myself enough time in a place and actually number one asking locals because you know the locals are gonna actually know where is best to go Mm. and they're happy Um, to tell you Oh, yeah, they really, really are, you know. And number two, would I just do a lot of research. I love, love, love researching wherever I'm going. And I use things like, obviously, Google Maps. I use things like geotags on Instagram. And for me, that's really enjoyable. Whereas I know for a lot of people, that might seem an enjoyable thing, like having to research where they're going. They just want to go. So I love doing that. And I'm happy to do the work for people and just hand it out because... um. Ireland is fantastic. We have some of the best beaches in the world, fantastic hikes. We have, I think we are, I will say, and I I do travel quite a lot uh, around Europe and and far. We have such great food here. Oh, yeah. Look, Amazing cafes. You'll be in the middle of nowhere. And I definitely think over the last three years, that's even grown more so. Um, And then, of course, we just have people like no other. And I'm really sorry to anyone listening from any other country abroad, but Irish people are the best, okay? (laughs) We are, you know, that everyone's always wants to help each other out and, you know, give give the best advice. And they really want you, if you're coming to their locality, they want you to have a really good time. Well, like that is where I wanted to go with this question about, you know, the love of this place. And, you know, this place is why this podcast exists, that it's special and that people who are on this show are some are, some are direct Irish blood. Others are like Stuart Lee, who's you know, great, great ancestors left during the famine, but he still feels a connection to this place. Now, we can all walk around and go, oh, Irish people are great. And you can go on the Late Late Show and Ryan can ask you if you're if you're Will Farrell, what's so great about us? But there has to be uh, there has to be a darker side to that. And there has to be parts of it that you don't absolutely love. When I look back on your life, Roz, it's nearly like you had two lives or you've lived two lives. Am I wrong in saying that? Or does it feel like there was a before and after for you? You know what? There definitely is. And I always say to people, like, I always feel like there's almost two sides of me as well. There's the side that I'm really into hiking, the outdoors, love photography. And then there's the side of me, obviously, who would have done Miss Universe Ireland, beauty pageants, model. And like, not that those two can't live side by side, Mm -hmm. but I think they're very much a contrast. What I try to explain to people is like growing up, I was, I lived, we grew up on Stephen Mountain down in Tipperary. So I always hiked. I spent 99% of my time outdoors. And then I moved to Dublin to go to college. And that's how I started modeling. And I suppose very gratefully, I traveled the world modeling. And I, you know, went down the beauty pageant route and, you know, had a, I suppose like, it's the kind of glamorous side of that industry of, of modeling and all that. But as I've gotten older, I've actually gone, I think, returned to my younger self. Um, yeah. And I I feel like, not that um, I got whisked away by it, but I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm returning to what makes me happy yeah. and what makes yeah. me feel comfortable. And that is actually just being outdoors, outdoors. Isn't it funny that you didn't think that was okay to be your thing? That like you 
that like you went in search of something else when, you know, that was your center and that was your core. I've mentioned, I remember talking to Eastkey Britain about similar thing that there was a time in Ireland where we were wary of the land, wary of the waters. Don't swim in the river. It's dangerous. Why was it that you clearly had this passion for food, for the outdoors and as you say, hiking specifically, but it, it you couldn't picture a career at that young age? Well, I think, you know what, even now we all look at, you know, through social media and you can kind of create whatever job you want. Whereas yeah. 10 years ago, that just wasn't a thing. And even the fact that I was doing modeling was something where, okay, you can do this for a very short term, but what's next? So yeah. I was always thinking of what's next. But I guess when I was modeling, the unfortunately for most people who ever interviewed me, the most interesting thing was what I looked like, what I ate (laughs) and how I trained. So I never really got the opportunity to explain what I like to do. Yeah. Did you feel like, because I've heard you say this a bunch of times, you've spoken a lot about wanting to be the voice that you needed when you were young that wasn't there. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that in the sense of when I started modeling, um, I was 18 and over the course of six years, I developed a really bad eating disorder. And I guess I grew up looking at traditional media where, you know, there was interviews with lots of women I would have looked up to. And it was all about what they ate, mm-hmm. what their weight was. It would demonize them if they put on weight. And it was just a really toxic culture. And I think society was extremely toxic around weight and female bodies and how they looked. So I guess for me, when I got the opportunity of growing a platform on social media, a big thing was actually being the anti of that mm. and showing people like, you know, just even in a really silly way, but like, okay, this is the photo you saw of me in the magazine where I am photoshopped to bits, but this was a behind the scenes where I don't even look like that, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, and I think just giving people an insight into, into that world that is fake, you know, it is fake. And even social media, you know, the sad thing is like, we're we're a society of predominantly, you know, like a lot of, we have a lot of stress in our lives at the moment, but yet we'll be remembered through just happy photos on Instagram, you know, that like you're seeing such a small part of someone's day and, you know, on the outside, you think that's their whole life. So I think just really showing behind the scenes of, you know, not to want to wish your life away for someone else's that you know nothing about. You're just seeing a small glimpse of it through social media. And I think one thing with me when I was going through an eating disorder was I used to wish my body away. I'd look, I'd go past someone else on the street and be like, oh, I wish I could trade bodies with them. And I think obviously there was a huge understanding of, you know, like uh, learning about body functionality and like how mine has actually done so much for me. And like I've climbed so many mountains and I'm really, you know, sporty. And there's so many other elements to my body that I was, completely rejecting because mm. I just wanted to to look a certain way so taking away the fact that factor that your body is not just for show and I suppose that meshing through social media and that is something I did for quite a long time I think from the age of maybe like mm, 27 to 31 I really that was a huge part of my social media and now I feel like society in general has very much changed as well and cotton opened it so thankfully you know it doesn't have to be a main thing that I have to talk about all the time because it's a general conversation people all know it's absolute bullshit how we were brought up to think that we had to be a certain size to fit in and a certain size to 
be loved and to be successful? You know, I'm very careful about asking these questions. And I, you know, I'm like, it's up to you what you bring up here, obviously, Ross. But, uh, you know, that does merit some discussion too, that I've watched you handle the worst kind of questioning on this. We don't need to name names. And you handled it like in such an inspiring way that, you know, it just blew my mind, blew my wife's mind. Tina was just like, this woman is a boss bitch in every sense of the word. <laughs> to put a man of power in his place who's asking a question that's inappropriate in the public eye and to answer it in the manner that you did to say, I don't think me answering that is helpful to the young women or men listening to this right now. Do you ha did you actively have that ready to go when you're asked these questions or was that in the moment or is there a consciousness at all times of the significance of what you might say and the impact it might have on people who are going through what you went through? I would love to say that I'm a really organized person and that everything is thought out but I actually when I go into interviews particularly even one like this I find that I don't prep because then I'm taking away an honest answer mm. and I mean that in the sense of sometimes when you prep you, you you're just not honest you're like what would instead of thinking what would I actually say you're like what would people like to hear yeah. so I guess for me especially with that interview um there was no prep because no one knew I was coming on. I didn't, you know, there was, I didn't know what the conversation, how it was going to be led or anything like that. So honestly, it was literally a split second. I just thought the first thing I thought about was when I was younger, there was magazines where it would say this model. And it was usually a model like a Victoria's Secret model. And it was a, her measurements and what she ate in a day. And I used to cut them out and hang them up and emulate exactly what they ate in the day because I would be like that's what's going to get me to her size so I understand how badly that impacted me and mm. how um, stupid it was as well like everyone's different we could all eat the same thing and still look different so I understand the dangers of sharing those kind of things of what I eat in a day especially what I eat in a day when I was severely um you know ill ill yeah, yeah. and I was unfortunately not in control I was controlled by an eating disorder. Can I, can I ask you about that? Because when you say I was not in control, again, it's something that comes up when, you know, I've, I've had a lot of guests who've had eating disorders on the show and they too talk about feeling like not like they've never said the word possession, but they've talked in similar language of it just didn't feel like it was you inhabiting your body at that time. No, it was, it was just like someone else has taken control. And I do actually think possession is quite a good um it's quite a, a good way to put it um yeah you you don't have control of how you're reacting to food how you know absolutely everything is affected like your relationships um your opportunities every single aspect of your life is revolved around food what you're going to eat what you're not going to eat your weight how much you're going to train that day what you look like and if any you know unfortunately if anyone comments so and I do remember you know I I knew that some parts sometimes when something would happen like for example uh, and I even I'm, I'm even like oh, I, I'm telling the story just to possibly give an example to someone okay. who may 
luckily have never ever had an eating disorder or know someone who's had it and it's just a tiny insight and it might seem so silly but you know one thing that really stands out to me is when I went for a meal with my dad and he was up in Dublin and he was only up for the day and I look back and I'm like my eating disorder completely ruined that day because he wanted we wanted to go for food and like we hadn't eaten all day and we sat down and like there was just nothing on the menu that I could have uh, that I deemed okay enough to have which would have been like a very light salad or something that would be extremely low in calories and I couldn't I got so overwhelmed I couldn't stop crying and my poor dad was like oh my god you know he's just like my dad's such a country man as well he's like he's putting the menu up like I'm not this is like she's causing a scene but like I made him go to so many different places to find something and then eventually I just decided I wouldn't I wasn't going to eat um so you know and I knew at the time I was like I didn't like I remember saying to my dad like I don't want to be like this but I can't help it what did he say to that well I think you know like obviously this was I was probably 21 at the time he's just you know like my dad is like I'm very very close to my dad and he's like the nicest man he was just like okay Rosie well look um you know he just he just obviously trying to make sure that he let to let me know that he's happy for me to do whatever makes me feel comfortable in the moment and obviously you know we've all grown up now and I think there's a lot more support for parents and friends and family to help those who are going through an eating disorder in what is best to say and sometimes it is just letting them know that you know they understand you're going through something difficult and not to feel guilty on top of that because you know I was also having this big moment around food and what to eat but then I was also feeling guilty because I was there with my dad and I was getting him to move and I was causing a scene so like just even removing the guilt makes it a little bit easier Mm. but look there is this is the thing there's no right or wrong thing to say it's like it's really down to the individual and just actually giving that person just this just some care and knowing that they're there and I think anyone listening to this who has a daughter friend family member who or even a colleague who is perhaps dealing with an eating disorder that there is a really good place in Dublin and I really wish that I had known about this or even you know my friends would have known about this called Bodywise, and they have free courses online courses to take in how to communicate with someone and how to offer support to someone who's going through an eating disorder. And I think that even just having those um, having those things out there for people is, is such an improvement to where we were 10 years ago. Wow, I didn't know this place existed either. I've obviously known people who had eating disorders and I've had them throw me out of their house. Like I haven't asked them to throw me out of their house. I, I've tried to talk to them and mm. they've removed me from their house. Yeah, um, it's, I do want to say to people, you know, a lot of times I, a lot of people had tried to confront me about it and it's, you do feel like your eating disorder is a huge part of you and yeah. it's not something I wanted to give up because I was like, if I, but it is me, like this is just me, this is just how I am um, and I didn't want to give it up because who was I without it? So yeah. when someone comes and tries to, you know, offer support and help and say I know you're going through this I want to give help and and get you help you're like no you're trying to it feels like an attack yeah you're diminishing me I'm good at this yeah and I really think that while you might mean it might you might just be doing this from a really good place and you really want to support that person sometimes 
it's all about the timing and if that person is ready. Um, and that's why BodyWise are great because, you know, they're professionals. And as I said, everybody is completely different um, when when they're ready to get help and, and how you're going to discuss it with them. TheBodyWiseClinic.ie is the website to go to. Co-founders are Siobhan, Ryan and Siobhan, me and uh, this sounds like an infomercial for them, but at the no, same time, not, I didn't no, know yeah. this place existed until Roz just said it. Yeah. And this is far more common than you realize. And as you say, it is not just a female thing. No. I too loved America's Next Top Model. I didn't watch it and think to myself, God, I'd love to be a model. But you you did. You like. I think a lot of people watched and went, Jesus, Tyra Banks. Why would anybody do this? You, you you didn't have that experience. I think that's that's worth talking about. Like, what were you thinking watching it? Especially when you know we know who Rose Purcell is now. You know this, as you say, the before and after. Why do you think it drew you? So, just to give people context, I was probably like from the age of thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, watching America's Next Top Model down. As I said, we lived on a farm just <laughs> on the foot of Stevenmont Mountain. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was an escape. I was like, wow, you know, like these girls have been plucked from obscurity all over America and now they're going to be like become famous models. And isn't this such a a really cool thing to think that could happen to and someone? Glamour. And I guess for me, it was like it was I was obviously down to prairie. And I think when you're a kid, I love being outdoors. I love being around all the animals. But, you know, I was very much like. Oh, when I get the chance, I'm going to leave Tipperary and move to New York and move to a big city. And um, I guess America's Top Model was like, I couldn't understand why none of them in there, like they would all be kind of crying and upset. And I couldn't understand why they weren't like being so grateful for this opportunity. <laughs> um, and I actually distinctly remember when I got signed to an agency in New York and I went over, I went, oh my God. Like if 14 year old me knew that I was in the position that I am now it's like I almost in a, in a weird way like manifested it because now I'm here and as you know like someone from a small farm in the middle of nowhere like we only got wi-fi down in Tipperary in our house two weeks ago oh, okay really? wow. it is 2023 people and we just got wi-fi we are living in the middle of nowhere um and I, that you know I'm I'm here and I'm a model in New York and then I guess the reality of it set in quite quickly and I could see why all the models on America's Sex that model were usually crying. And they were crying. Usually upset. So many tears, maybe more tears on that show than X Factor. I mean, it really yeah. was. And, you know, you can understand you, you better than anyone can understand why the uh, you went to UCD, mm -hmm. you studied arts like so many arts students, including myself, because you couldn't think of anything else. You yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do at all. And I actually, I filled out my CAO when I was 16. And I remember, you know, everyone going, well, maybe, you know, if you were 17 or 18, I was like, I still don't know what I what I want to do at 17 or 18. You know, it's not going to like, uh, uh, the switch isn't going to flip so quick um, to figure that all out. But I guess I did not know what I wanted to do. Um, at all so for me to even get the opportunity to go modeling it was it was such an escape from the reality of having to go you know and, and decide what I want to do after arts and and you know like I had all my friends who had decided they were going to go and become a barrister or they were going to become nutritionists they had their whole life planned out and they knew exactly what they wanted to do by the age of 17 and I just was not like that 
Me either. I mean, it was terrifying. Those people frightened me. I was like, how do you know with that yeah. level of certainty what you want to do? And I really didn't know. And the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing now is proof of that because I went down so many blind alleys in the meantime. But again, I'm really proud that I made all the mistakes I did because that's who I am yeah. now. But equally, I get approached by youngsters going, how do I do what you did? You must get that a lot now. And I, I'd imagine that it's quite hard to talk to youngsters. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> that makes you immediately sound old. Youngsters yeah. who are in a world that didn't exist when you were their age. So when they come to you and go, Ross, I want to be an influencer like you or produce this work that you do and be, and, and oftentimes, and be famous, like they think mm -hmm. that that's the vibe, that's the, pro, that's the end goal. What do you say? It's very difficult because obviously I've really, I, I can't tell you enough how much I've fallen into all of this. You know, nothing was planned out. I've really just gone with the flow and here I am. Um, so I do definitely express that to them. I'm like, one thing I will say is this wasn't planned out. Of course, I watched America's tech Next Top Model growing up and I, I wanted to be there and it wasn't exactly what I thought it was when I eventually got there. So it was kind of be careful what you wish for. But since then and returning home, modeling at home, and then I was very much, you know, when social media began, I started posting on it like straight away. And then that naturally grew. So I guess anytime I just, if, if youngsters want to get advice, on becoming an influencer one thing I really like to to press them on is what are you really passionate about mm. and they stop and they're like oh sometimes they're like oh I don't know I just you know I just bits and bobs and like I just want to be well known I'm like well that's not going to get you well known mm. like what are you really passionate about and I don't care if it's something as you know something like you're really good at collecting coupons and saving money I'm like if you start posting about that now your time will come where that is really fashionable <laughs> and everyone wants to know, you know? Yeah. So I obviously started the hike life six years ago. Hiking wasn't really sexy back then. <laughs> and, you know, I remember people were like, oh, Jesus, Ross Purcell's out doing these hikes things. And they were kind of like laughing at me. And I'm like, now, now it's, you know, like it's having its moment. Yeah. You know, you so, were passionate about it. You yeah, really so, weren't just doing it for clicks. No. And like, listen, I have put so much of my own money into organizing events and doing all that, you know, like I really do just want to get people out and experience hiking in a really positive, safe way. So I guess I always say to people, number one thing, what is your passion? And if they if they don't know that, I'm like, let's take time to figure that out, because when you know what your passion is, then you can really hone in on that and share it. And through sharing your passion, that is how you'll find your people. Maraz, I've got so many more questions to ask you in the second half of this conversation over on patreon.com forward slash Abroad. That's how I make this show, how I pursue my passion of talking to really interesting Irish people. Of course, if you come over to Patreon, you don't just get the big interviews like with Steve Coogan. Uh, go back and enjoy that one. You can hear the full thing over on patreon.com forward slash Abroad. You also get the running podcast with Sonia O'Sullivan. Who better to coach you in your running journey than the greatest of all time, the Queen of Irish Athletics. And on Friday, we look at American politics with the best political writer in the game, Marion McKeown. Come on over for the price of a pint each month. You get access to the lot and the full back catalogue of Irishman Abroad interviews going all the way back to 2013.